The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's business world, you need to have a unique edge in order to thrive. Your show host, Lisa Chickles, understands you have to live it to get it. And she is here to give what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is Chat with Chickles, featuring brand champion Lisa Chickles. In this program, you'll hear from the experts who are already making differences in their business while picking up strategies that can help you and your business survive and thrive. Now, here's your host, Lisa Chickles. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here today. I am broadcasting live from Toronto, Canada. And thank you for taking the time to join me on my show on innovation. This is part one of a two-part series, and I'm going to chat with you about what they couldn't teach you in business school because you have to live it to get it. This show is for people who want to succeed in business, whether they're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur. Um, today's topic is innovation. And the question that I have today is, can innovation truly flourish in an organization or are there things that just kind of get in the way, like a culture, a structure, how you define your business model? I'm sure there's others, but those are the three that we're going to talk about today. And sure enough, all of them can absolutely get in the way. But there is a way around all of them. So let's start with culture. What do we mean by culture? Organizational culture encompasses the values and behaviors that contribute to the unique social and psychological environment of an organization. Okay, so what does that mean? An organization's values and behaviors shape sort of how we work, what we do, how we're rewarded. It's something that is felt. Sometimes it's written down, but most of the time it's a feeling and it guides us on, you know, how we bring things forward to the organization. So, for example, if your organization is based on a premise that, you know, mistakes are okay as long as we learn from them and improve, then it fosters an environment where people feel that they can try things and explore new ideas. They've been given the freedom to fail. This is one of the four freedoms from DDB um, Advertising Agency. Or if the organizational culture is based on rewarding success and penalizing failure, then it creates an environment where people fear making mistakes. This is a difficult culture um, in which to try to innovate because fear can get in the way. Ken Robinson speaks about this in his TED Talk on her school's killing creativity. It's a great talk, by the way. I think it's in their top 10. He talked about if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. And unfortunately, companies have a tendency to stigmatize mistakes. Perhaps if they were reminded of things that started out as mistakes but became success stories like post-it notes, you know, one of that old and familiar story. And for those that don't know, in 1968, a chemist for 3M was supposed to develop a strong adhesive for the aerospace industry. Unfortunately, he created a weak one, but one that stayed sticky after several uses. It was shelved for five years and deemed as useless and a failure. 
But lo and behold, it came back. Someone put the adhesive on a piece of paper, and that paper would stick to anything. Uh, That's what we now call post-it notes. Before you begin thinking about innovation, it's important to assess the culture that you're working in. If you're an entrepreneur, think about your own appetite for risk, and then build a plan to either embrace it or overcome it. So let me tell you about an example um, that I encountered in terms of bringing innovation to a culture that was quite understandably risk adverse. I was working in a not-for-profit organization, and I had been challenged to grow my portfolio, um, my area of business, uh, the part of the business that I was accountable for. And the mandate was grow your business by 50% over two years, specifically to drive innovation growth in the areas of community events, direct response, and lottery. So lottery, those products that uh, not-for-profits can use in order to raise funds. One of the areas that I focused on in the story that I'm going to share with you today is the lottery. And I knew the organization was quite understandably risk-adverse. It was a not-for-profit, every dollar counts, and there's a lot of public scrutiny on how dollars are spent. So it was important that I proceed with caution. And that's exactly what I did. Proceeded with caution and did the homework. We were innovating in a category that we knew well. So it gave us an advantage. We had expertise. We had experience in this funding category. We looked at the gaming category overall and identified 10 different potential new lottery products that we could launch. So what were other people doing out there? What were the other potential growth ideas? And would they? And then we did a pro and con exercise, a very typical, easy, you know, on an Excel spreadsheet. What are the pros and cons of these different ideas? And then we had a set criteria that we had identified and said, okay, we're going to look at potential revenue growth, size of investment, what kind of resources will we need? All those types of things. Um, and what were any government regulations that might be in place? And then we, from that list, held it down to our top three picks. And then we put them into testing. Because of our experience in the category, we had the opportunity to use a volume predictive model on a couple of our ideas. And again, for those who don't know, volume predictive modeling kind of leverages the statistics to, to predict an outcome. In many cases, the model is chosen to try to guess the probability of an outcome given a certain set of input data. You know, think stats, back to your stats class for those that took stats. Uh, we also recognized that this was a new product and we were making a ton of assumptions. And that's okay. I mean, innovation means it hasn't really been done before or you're going to do it in a way that no one else has done it which means you don't have the answer yet. You don't know what all the potential pitfalls are. So it's okay to to make assumptions as long as you note them and people understand, yeah, we're doing this for these reasons and then what's the risk associated with it. We also developed a contingency plan just in case what we had identified as our potential sales success uh, didn't quite go as planned. Could we decrease advertising at a certain point of time? What were the different ways that we could help to save dollars if we weren't seeing the uptake in sales that we were looking for? So we believed that we'd put it all together. We had the solid plan. We'd done, you know, this predictive fancy model. And we had looked at all these different options. And we were now ready to take our top pick, pick sorry, to management and to the board to ask for their final approval and endorsement. And so I I had really thought as the leader of this team that we had overcome those cultural barriers. Um, But then I ran into something I hadn't anticipated, and that was the fear of failure. 
someone said to me, Lisa, nine out of 10 new products fail. And I thought about that. And then I naively said, but I'm only launching one. You know, I honestly didn't mean to sound cheeky. I really didn't understand the concern. You know, we had done the work. We, we had looked at the 10 and we were only, we were picking the one. Certainly, you know, how big it would be, how small it would be, all those things we didn't know for sure, but we had done our homework. And then I remembered something a mentor of mine taught me, Ian. He was a master at creating calm in the midst of chaos. He had a way of framing things that helped you to get beyond your fears and to say yes. He would say things to me like, Lisa, we can try it this way, but if we don't like it, we could change it. So what did that do? That said to me, you know what? Don't worry about the final outcome, all the negative implications. If things aren't going well, we can change it. The key thing is to try and to start somewhere and to make a decision. And of course, when he said that, it always helped me to do that. It helped me to put, get past my fears and say, okay, right. So if it doesn't work, we can look at it differently. He also would say to me, we don't have to decide today. And that also took the pressure off. You would immediately relax. So you've done all this work. You're, you think you're going in the right direction. And then the panic starts to set in. Uh-oh, what if I'm wrong? What if it's a mistake? What if it doesn't work? Shoot, what does this all mean? And basically, what he said to me when he said, we don't have to decide today, is it gave me a minute to take a breath and think about it. Oh, gosh, I don't, I don't have to decide today. But then, of course, all I wanted to do was to decide. It was kind of an interesting, and maybe it's some psychology training, but he had an interesting way of helping you to get over those fears. And when I was in that situation, when that person said to me, nine out of 10 new products fail, and I recognized that it was fear that was getting in the way, worry, concern, whatever you want to call it, I tapped into that lesson from Ian And I said, you know what? We don't have to do this today. Yeah, we're about to walk into a board meeting and there's a lot of pressure and all that good stuff. But we can still present our recommendation and say, you know what? We're not ready to decide today. We need a little bit more thinking time. We need your perspective. There were lots of ways of helping us sort of get over that initial anxiety or that initial fear. What I realized from that is you do need to give permission to people to say no. You need to give them a chance to take a pause and then also reflect, are these feelings or facts? Now, feelings are valid, but they're not facts. So let's talk about the facts for a minute. Because remember, I was given the mandate to grow the business. And there must have been a reason for that mandate. There must have been a reason why we were looking at innovation. And there was. I mean, the business needed, the needed, business needed growth. Um, so then I had to talk to them about the risk of doing nothing. Remember, as I said, my mandate and my business challenge there was a reason for it. So now by saying we don't have to decide today, it gave me the opportunity to highlight the consequences of not deciding or not innovating or saying no or doing nothing. This can provide another perspective. It can help people separate or try to separate the fear from the facts. And then, of course, you can reinforce, look, we know that this is an innovation and inherently an innovation. We don't have the answer. If we don't move forward, we're going to see continue to see the business decline. So the good news is that at the end of that meeting, everyone did say yes. 
It was a tremendous success, way beyond our expectations. And this is something that you need to watch out for. And I still haven't quite figured this one out. We spent so much time managing the risk that we didn't explore the potential for growth. We didn't think about what's the upside? What if it is successful? Are we prepared? Have we done everything we can to maximize our business success? That's something that I learned from my mistakes. So we are coming up on a break. And I just want to say you're here with this is Chat with Chickles. What they couldn't teach you in business school because you have to live it to get it. When we come back from the break, I'm going to summarize some of the lessons that we learned or I learned in, you know, bringing innovation to a culture. This show is for people who would rather stand up and get noticed than sit down and be hidden. It's about taking risk, calculated risk, and putting yourself and your ideas out there. I am your host, Lisa Chickles, and you can reach me at chatwithchickles at rogers.com. That's chat with C-H-I-C-U-L-E-S at rogers.com. Like me on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, and check out my website at Lisa Chickles Consulting. So when we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about and summarize some of those lessons that we've learned and also talk to you about the role that structure can play in limiting innovation. So we'll be back in a few minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. Well, we're back and chatting about innovation. And can it truly flourish in an organization? Or do things like culture, structure, and how you define your business model get in the way? Um, In our first segment, we were talking about culture. So I'd just like to summarize for everyone are some of the lessons that I've learned about, you know, trying to overcome some of the potential barriers with culture, um, especially if you're trying to bring innovation in a risk adverse culture. I think the first thing is you really need to assess the organization's tolerance for risk. 
take a look at the history of the organization. When did they last bring a new idea to, to the company? Was it successful? What is the current state of the business? Are they in a period of growth or are they in a period of decline? Because this can help you to understand if they're nervous or if they've got a little bit of room um, for some experimentation. Do they reward effort or results? Are people encouraged to think differently and challenge the status quo? Or when you're in a meeting and you ask questions or present ideas, do people say things like, oh, we tried that and it didn't work or that won't work for these reasons? This will tell you a lot about the type of organization you're working with and what their tolerance for risk is. You also have to think about your own tolerance for risk um, and your level of courage and determination to see it through. Uh, innovation isn't easy. It's, uh, there's, as you can see from the example that I shared with you, there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of analysis. And you have to think about your own resiliency. Are you more afraid of being fired for doing something or fired for doing nothing? What is your risk tolerance? And if you're an entrepreneur, how much runway do you have? You know, in terms of dollars and time, can you afford to innovate or can you afford not to? I mean, it's always that those two different sides of the argument. Then if you determine that you want to move forward, um, do the hard work. And believe me, as I said, it is hard work. That lottery innovation took nine months. Now, that's actually not a long time at all from the concept of identifying that we're going to do innovation to actually getting it in market. But another innovation that I did at the same organization took me three years. And there's lots of reasons why one takes longer than the other, but you need to be prepared. It can take a long time. So do the upfront business analysis, assess assess the white space of your market. Where's your competition and where's your customer? Develop the business case. Do those great financial productions, those P&Ls. Your CFO will love you. Um, Lots of different options. So, well, if this happens, then this. Um, And if you're in an organization or you have a board of directors or investors or advisors that you report to, make sure you understand their barriers um, to saying yes. What's their risk tolerance? Um, Where are they in terms of their comfort level with saying yes to innovation? Talk to them. Unearth their concerns. What are they worried about? Be a good listener. Take notes. And then think about how you can overcome it. As we said earlier, you know, feelings are valid, but they're not facts. So if they are concerned about financial risk, do a contingency plan. If you have an opportunity to test it in a market, do that. If they're worried about your advertising, then do some communications testing. All of this is, you know, in your gut. I mean, and we're going to talk about this in an upcoming episode around critical thinking and intuition and the role that it plays in, you know, how we work and how we make decisions. But you know within yourself that this is the right thing to do. There's something that's told you that. There's something that's driving you forward. What you need to do is to get everybody else around you on the same page. You know, people talk about getting people on the bus. It's like these are the things that you need to do as a good leader of trying to make sure that everyone feels as confident and comfortable as you do with this new idea. And then after all of that, there is no guarantee that the innovation will be successful, that you'll hit your targets. And if someone says to you, so Lisa, can you guarantee me that this will work? Can you guarantee these numbers? Well, you need to say, no, I can't. I mean, I've done a lot of work and, you know, I'm 80% confident it's going to work, but there's still that 20%. But what I can guarantee you is that if we do nothing, um, we're going to continue to see the sales declines that we've seen. Because that's predictable, because you've been looking at them for the past five years. And finally, you also need to be prepared to walk away. 
if the if the organization or you or your board, whatever your situation isn't ready, timing is everything, they say. This is not a failure. It's recognizing that people can only say yes when they're ready. So those are some of the things that I've learned about um, when I've been trying to bring innovation to a new organization and thinking about their culture. So then the next area is structure. So structure, well, how can that be a barrier or an enabler to innovation? I'm certainly not an organizational behavioral expert. All I can really do is share with you what I've learned, what I've observed, worked with a lot of different um, organizations and seen a lot of different ways to approach innovation and sometimes how people have structured it to either make it work or to get in the way. So let's think about what some of those things might be, some of those structural options. Sometimes it's about setting up a separate team or a department, a little bit more of a permanent structure. They have a clear mandate and everybody's looking to them to come up with the next big idea. Talk about pressure. The other option is sometimes to look at the mandate and it might be time bound. You might be looking at trying to innovate on a particular idea that needs to be launched within the next year. So you pull together a cross-functional team. This is more informal um, and has a a time frame around it. Or you can do what um, Google did. And we'll talk more about that. And they certainly changed their approach over time. But they had originally said, um, they said they wanted everybody to spend 25% of their time, or sorry, 20% of their time on innovation. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So what works? What's the best approach? And okay, from my experience, it depends. And I know people love that when you say that. You're about to give them the answer. The pen is poised. You're going to write it down. And then they go, "Ah, it depends. Well, it does because it depends on a bunch of things. It depends on the size of the organization, um, whether or not an informal structure could work because the size of the organization could get get in the way. It depends on the team, how the team is set up and viewed within the organization, how the work of the team is recognized and rewarded, how the ideas from these teams is integrated back into the organization. I can only share my experience, uh, what I did and why and the results, and then you can apply this thinking to your individual experience. So, again, from a not-for-profit organization, um, I walked into the role and my predecessor had set up a team called the Innovation Team. They had a clear mandate to deliver innovation to the organization, one or two new product ideas per year. They had a budget, a team, and a business target to hit. I was challenged to increase revenue and drive innovation in my new role. So I started out by asking a lot of questions about this innovation team. I'm a big believer in honoring the past. Um, In last week's episode, I talked about this uh, fantastic book, and we'll do more on this in the segment on leadership called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And one of them, one of those laws is about, you know, honoring the past Um, because you need to understand where the thinking has come from. I mean, I make the assumption that, hey, there's a lot of smart people sitting around a room and they made a decision based on assumptions and a criteria, just like I do. And they got everybody to say yes. So what was their thinking? Where where were they going? And I needed to understand that before I made a decision to make any changes. So then, of course, I began my discovery process. I went on my fact-finding mission and started to ask a bunch of questions. So I asked people, what's the team's mandate? How long has the team been together? What ideas have they explored? And how did they select those ideas? What ideas did they say no to and why? And then what ideas did they say yes to and why? Uh, 
And what was their success rate? Based on the answers to these questions, I made a decision. And my decision was to dismantle the team and put the innovation back into the base business. And when I say base business, I mean back into the different areas of business that were already um, delivering business results to the organization. From what I could see from the mandate and the department that had been put in place, really the leadership had only been in place. The team had been in place for about three years. The team had not delivered any revenue growth to the organization and explored a a lot of ideas. I asked the former leader of the team what she thought, and here's what she said to me. Lisa, we've explored a lot of ideas, but we really don't have the resources to take it any further. And the risk is high, especially in a not-for-profit. It's unexplored territory, and there's a lot of upfront investment cost required. And we don't know if it's going to work. And at that time, the organization was already in every fundraising category possible. So she and the team weren't really sure what the white space is. Where was that opportunity for growth? And not sure if it was worth continuing. So for me, a very honest, real answer. Um, So then I also said, okay, I'm going to start to ask my peers in the organization, other VPs, my CFO, my head of HR. What I was doing there was trying to understand people's appetite for change. How committed were they to this concept? Had a lot of people put a ton of effort into it. And if I went in and made a big change... Would there be a lot of resistance? Would um, Were people still hoping that this would work and that we just needed to give it more time? The answers that I received were a bit of what I expected, but also some of it was concerning. So what I heard back was, you know what, Lisa, it isn't working. Um, we're not seeing the growth. Uh, our business is in decline. We're not hitting our targets. And there's a lot of pressure on this team and they are not delivering. That was the thing that concerned me the most. Okay, here's a group of people doing their best, working hard, and now the the future of the organization rested with these people. And I, I didn't really feel that that was fair. Were we really setting this group up for success? Was it even possible given the resources that we had? So it, now, what I heard from everybody, I don't think would have changed my decision, but it definitely would have changed how I communicated my decision. So now that I knew that the organization was feeling like we had tried this and maybe we need to try something different, and the team was feeling an incredible amount of pressure, perhaps it was time to think about doing it differently. So I dismantled the team and actually put the innovation and the team members back into the other business units. One of the things to think about is when we ask someone to come on, well, we need innovation in your department, but you don't give them dollars or people or time, which we know is the biggest commodity these days, how are they supposed to keep their base business going or their current products moving and delivering business results? How are they supposed to do that when they are also now trying to look at new ideas? So by taking this and and bringing it back into um, the teams, we were able to be successful. So I have to say, I'm not 100% sure why the other approach didn't work. You know, was it the team? Was it the leadership? Was it the mandate? Did they have enough resources? Um, That was really, I wasn't really 100% sure. But what I did know for sure is that it actually wasn't working. So what I am started, so then what I started to look at was, okay, so what could I do? How am I now going to 
going to charge this new group or the base business with delivering innovation. And I also thought about the fact that, you know what, perhaps it didn't need to be a new product. I wasn't being told that I had to launch a new product. I was being challenged to grow my business. And there's so many different ways to grow your business. I mean, think about the famous UPS case, uh, where by changing the route of drivers, they significantly reduce costs and increase their profits. So we're coming up on a break. And when I come back, I'll tell you more about the UPS example. And I'll also tell you about what happened uh, with the team when we took the innovation out of the innovation team and put it back into the base business. So we'll be back in a few minutes with more on that. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. Great, and we're back again, and we've been chatting about innovation and what can get in the way of bringing innovation to your organization or if you're an entrepreneur to your own business. Sometimes it's the culture, sometimes it's the structure, and sometimes it's how you define your business model. So we were in the midst of talking about structure, and um, I'd been sharing with you that when I started at a not-for-profit and was asked to bring innovation to my team or to drive revenue growth, I was looking at different ways of structuring. And I was about to talk to you about the famous UPS case, because when I went back to think about it, maybe even the name of the team was wrong. Innovation team. Like, did it have to be a new product or could it be a new way of doing something? I mean, there's lots of ways to bring growth to an organization, obviously. You can deliver dollars to the bottom line. That doesn't even actually require you to look at launching a new product, which also clearly has a lot of challenges around it and a lot of risk. So in the case of UPS, um, UPS was facing pressure to reduce costs and also had important environmental stewardship policies. So they analyzed routes and realized that left turns resulted 
in wasting gas and time waiting in traffic. So they re-engineered their routes so that drivers turned right 90% of the time. Okay, like brilliant, who thought of this? In 2007, this allowed UPS to shave nearly 30 million miles off already streamlined routes, save 3 million (laughs) gallons of gas, and reduce their CO2 emissions significantly. Today, they've specialized on this priority uh, GPS technology that allows them to get from A to B in the most efficient manner possible. Um, almost never making any left-hand turns. Something you can think about next time you're making a left-hand turn. It's safer, clearly, and saves time because the trucks don't have to wait in traffic and it keeps them moving, which of course means more money. Again, as we said earlier, time is money. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about innovation, when you're thinking about growing your business. Sometimes it's as simple as making a right-hand turn instead of a left-hand turn. So what happened with me and and my adventure and looking at um, changing the structure and thinking about the innovation team? Well, the good news is, and by the way, if it wasn't good news, I'd share it with you as well. Um, The good news is that we had revenue growth across all three business units. Um, In one team, they were able to grow the bottom line business by 21%. So they went after efficiency. They also were now working with another group within their department um, and were working more efficiently, which also helped them to deliver um, that significant growth to the bottom line. Another team maximized revenue in one of their current programs and delivered unprecedented growth in another. And really what that was about is that person took the time to say, look, of all of the community fundraising events that we do, what is the one or two that we think we can actually improve, optimize, whatever language you want to use to take it to the next level to drive more business growth. And I also think it was about focusing and say, making a choice versus trying to change the whole portfolio that helped that team to be successful because they had a lot of work to do. They were also still continuing to drive their current businesses. And then the third team launched a new product. Um, and that was a lottery example that I told you earlier um, with fantastic results. And they also grew their base business to unprecedented results. So, okay, clearly way beyond my expectations in the organizations. So why? Why did it work? You know, I have to say, you know, it was a bit, I'm really not sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of reasons, but here's the ones that I identified. And there, and there might be others as well. Each team had a plan. They also had resources and they had a timeline. And something I didn't think of, it unearthed people's desire and passion for innovation. They were excited to focus on innovation versus being burdened by it, which I think the innovation team was. They also received a lot of support from the organization. Because they were already delivering on their base business results, this was like a bonus. This was an extra And it allowed the organization to be supportive versus maybe isolating that team or setting up that team for either success or failure. So what are some of the lessons that I learned through all of this? Well, there's lots of ways to leverage structure as an enabler for innovation. And choosing the right one depends. It depends upon the mandate, the organizational culture, the resources, and choosing the right structure. And choosing the right structure is really the first step. 
And keep in mind that it doesn't, if it doesn't work, you can change it. That's what I did. I mean, I'm sure my predecessor, had she not left the organization, would have changed it as well. It's just a matter of that point in time when you say, have we exhausted everything and is this or isn't this working? So let's go back to that Google example. Um, Google's been well known uh, for its unique approach to innovation. One of its best known innovation mechanism was its policy of 20% time. What this was is that they encouraged their engineers, in addition to their regular projects, to spend 20% of their time working on what they thought would be of most benefit to Google. This concept of the Google 20% time resulted in some of the company's most successful innovations, Gmail, AdSense, and Google Talk. And then they changed it. The rationale was that as their business model changed, so did the way that they worked and their process. They were now focused more on a structured approach to innovation. Was this a good decision? Well, I guess only time will tell. But I I give them a courage of saying, look, we've tried this. Yes, it's worked. But maybe some other things within it aren't working. And can we redefine it and try something different and see what happens? So ask yourself, when you're faced with this and you're looking at your mandate for innovation and you're looking at different choices and structure, um, what are your options? Uh, What is the mandate that you've been given? What's the resources that you have? And then think about what could work. Try it. And then as we said earlier, and if it doesn't work, try something else. So that's really kind of how structure can play a role in either enabling um, or becoming a barrier to innovation. And the last one that we're going to talk about is the business model. So can innovation truly flourish in an organization or does the way the company defines the business model get in the way? So, so what do I mean by uh, defining your business model? Uh, it really is defining what is the business that you're in? So, for example, let's say I said to you, I, my business is making um, white running shoes and that's what my business is all about. And then something happens. Um, the market changes and white running shoes are no longer in style. And now everybody wants purple running shoes. So does that mean that I go out of business? Or does that mean that I adapt and redefine my business model? So instead of saying, I'm in the business of making white running shoes, maybe I'm in the business of making running shoes to meet the fashion needs of kids today. Or something like that. So how you define your business model can limit your ability to innovate. It can also... Um, limit your ability to react to market changes, and it can also, uh, you know, get in the way of some of your innovative thinking. So let's look at some of the big companies out there. Uh, What about McDonald's? Um, So let's ask ourselves, what business are they in? So are they in the burger and fries business or are they in the family restaurant business? And those for those Canadians out there, Tim Hortons, are they in the donut business or the real estate business? Bit provocative there. Disney. Are they in the movie business or the family entertainment business? So let me take you through a couple of examples and how the business model could change how you might approach your organization and your your approach to innovation. So Disney, by defining their business as a family entertainment business instead of a movie business, it allowed them to take advantage of new technology and expand their product offering. So they weren't just about movies anymore. They could be about theme parks, hotels, cruise lines, videos, DVDs. Hey, timeshares. Well, you can see that by broadening the definition of the business model, you can open up the organization to new categories, new ideas, innovation, and of course, growth. And same with McDonald's. If they had just defined their business model as burgers and fries, 
and not the family restaurant business, would they have been able to take advantage of the trend towards healthier eating? Then let's talk about Tim Hortons, um, a Canadian favorite. They had originally started out as a, you know, coffee and donut business. But think about it. They had real estate that was open for, let's say, 12 to 24 hours. But they were only serving products that were meeting the needs of customers through certain what we call day parts in, let's say, the food business. People were coming there maybe in the morning for a coffee and a donut, maybe at a break time. But there was a lot of time when that store was empty or standing idle. But they had the staff, they had the equipment, they had the real estate. How could they maximize that investment by expanding their business model? And when they realized that, they said, wait a minute, we need to think about expanding our day parts. We need to get beyond the coffee and donut business. And that's when they launched their lunch business. And then after that, their breakfast business. So expanding those day parts to make sure that they were maximizing the potential behind that initial investment of both the real estate and the staff. So as you can see, a broader exam, a broader definition of your business can help to protect you against market shifts. Let's let's think about our Tabby example from last week. Um, for those that weren't here, Tabby International is a women's specialty clothing retailer, and they were seeing a bit of a decline in their business. And someone said, well, are we in the novelty sweater business, sort of appealing to a very specific demographic group? Or are we in the confidence business, trying to meet the needs of that new and emerging 50-year-old woman? Even in my own business, I come up with these challenges. Originally, I started in my business, I wasn't even looking in the not-for-profit sector. And then as I gained experience in that area, I realized I could expand my business model to meet needs of a broader consumer group. So how you define your business model is critical to helping you remain open and to protect yourself, you know, against market trends. So start with a market assessment. Where are you right now? Where's your customer? Where's your competition? And where's that white space or that opportunity gap? And then move right on in. Um, You may have a few options. So test them. Explore them. There isn't one right answer. but, But look at the different ways that you could do it. And then... When you do decide, remember, you can always change your mind. I mean, it, it, it isn't forever when you're making these decisions, as Ian had said to me. Let's try it for now. And if it doesn't work, we can change it. So that's what Disney, McDonald's, Tim Hortons, and Tabby did. The one constant for them was change. And staying open to change and creating that environment where innovation can flourish is really the key. I mean, think about the restaurant business and when was there gluten-free items on menus? And now where you go, there's lots. And what did they see? Well, they saw that the needs of their customer was changing. So they needed to expand their product offering. So it looks like we're coming up on a break. Um, You're here with Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school because you have to live it to get it. And this is for people who would rather stand up and be noticed than sit back and and be hidden. This is really about pushing forward your ideas, trying new innovation, taking that risk, although making sure you're doing it in a calculated way um, to make sure that you can bring innovation both to your organization or if you're an entrepreneur to your business. So we'll be back in a few minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. If you are a beginning or aspiring entrepreneur, have you thought about a coach or mentor? For instance, think about sports figures who have successfully become entrepreneurs and leaders in business. They started out with a coach in their respective sport, and many work with a coach today to help them continue to achieve their goals. Listen for ESCN with host Michael Dawson and co-host Angelia Hobson and Diane Daniels. Tune in Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business and rebroadcasts on Voice America Sports. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back again, and I'm chatting about innovation in part one of my two-part series. This is about what they couldn't teach you in business school because you have to live it to get it. We're coming to the final segment, and this is where I wrap up all of the things that we talked about in the first few segments, and then also give you a bit of a teaser of next week's show. So to sum up, um, can innovation truly flourish in an organization, or can the culture, structure, how you define your business model get in the way? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. And then it's about how do you overcome it? So let's first talk about um, a risk-adverse culture, how it can get in the way of innovation, about innovative thinking. So it's important to start out by assessing the culture that you're in. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, what is the, the risk tolerance of the organization? Do they believe or do you believe in the freedom to fail? Or is there fear of making a mistake? You can still move ahead, just understand the environment you're working in and then be prepared to overcome it. You also need to understand your own risk tolerance. Is this something you really want to take on? Because it's a lot of work and you need to have the passion, energy, and determination to make it work, to take it to the end, to take it to that finish line. And you need a plan that will address all of the concerns um, that others have talked about and raised in your organization. And you also need to be prepared to walk away. If people aren't ready, sometimes the answer is, um, not, we're not going to do it, but we're not going to do it right now. And you can be like post it. And then five years later, it comes back and it's a huge success. Structure can also, can either be an enabler or a barrier to in- innovation. And there are many ways forward on, um, how you might structure your organization in terms of delivering innovation. It could be a permanent structure, like a team where you call it the innovation team, Or you might have a shared mandate across a select group of people. When I was working in an advertising agency, one of my clients had come to me and said, "Um, 
you know, I, I had asked her because someone said to me, you know, if you're meeting with clients, you should say, what's the thing that's keeping you up at night? So there I was all like ready for that big question. And she told me, and then I'm like, yikes, what do I do? And basically what she said to me, it had nothing to do with advertising. Her biggest concern was her relationship with one of her um, with one of her clients. So she was in a supplier relationship, and they just happened to be a client of the agency that I worked with. And she said to me, anything you can do, Lisa, to help us broker this relationship, I'd really appreciate it. Now, what you need to know is there were no dollars involved here. I wasn't being given a man, a new mandate. I wasn't being given, you know, here's $100,000 to explore this. It was, can you help me out? And my reaction was, and something that I'd learned in my career in advertising is, if you focus on what's best for the business, the money will follow. Because if you're doing the right thing, eventually, it's the money will be there. My job was to sell it to my bosses. And basically, they said, surely, so do whatever you want as long as you still deliver your, your P&L and your bottom line profit. So I had to absorb the cost of this within my team um, and had to feel that, you know what, I think this is the right way to move forward. The good news is it did work. And the better news, it did lead to more business. So there's lots of ways around it. And remember, if it isn't working, you can always change it. And the last thing we talked about was how your company defines your business model can either open you up to innovation or if you define it too narrowly, perhaps um, limit your ability to innovate or not let you see what some of the market changes and dynamics might be. So if you're in that situation, think about what business am I in? What business do I want to be in? And then how do I get there? So that was really part one of innovation and how to get around some potential barriers to innovation and really getting people to say yes to your ideas. So what are we going to talk about next week? What's part two all about? Well, it's actually about, uh, you're actually your job is only partway over. <laughs> you just got everybody to say yes. Now you actually have to deliver the innovation. And I also learned a lot about that as well. There's different barriers that come into play. There's different tools that you need. Uh, I, my biggest thing that helped me when I was trying to actually deliver and implement an innovation was finding a cheerleader in the organization or outside of the organization. Because if people have said yes, they're still not 100% sure. And by the way, neither are you. So some of their fears and their anxieties can come out when you're in the when you're partway through actually launching something. So next week's show is going to be about how do you keep people on side? How do you keep them saying yes? And how do you help them to actually build your idea? Some people will just stay silent and sit back and wait to see what happens and then decide if they're if they support you. And somebody said to me, success has many many fathers and Failure is an orphan. But basically, people will glom on to ideas once they've been successful. And it's interesting how they'll always say that they were a part of it from the beginning. So you just need to be aware of that. And ideas are fragile. They need to be nurtured. You need people around you um, that will say why it will work, not why it won't work. You need to find those cheerleaders to keep you going and to avoid what I call some of the dream crushers. And, and you know what I mean when I say uh, those people. So I'm also going to chat with you about, I'm a big movie fan, and I jot down lines or plots in movies that talk about innovation or innovative thinking. And I'm going to share a little bit more about those. But think about the social network. So that was really the backstory on Facebook. And the guy from Yahoo, and I'll get his name, said, uh, 
you are actually, he was all about building on this guy's idea. He said, you're thinking way too small. And the sum of the people around you are actually keeping your idea small or making it small. You're thinking more campuses. I'm thinking more continents. I mean, again, think about having someone like that um, right near you when you're looking at building innovation. And if you have someone like that, maybe you wouldn't make the mistake that I did in spending so much time managing risks that you forgot to manage the upside. You need people like that around you to help you get to that level. Um, Because there are people, I don't know if you've seen this movie, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Anyway, it's a great movie uh, with uh, Ewan McGregor and Emily Blunt. And basically he says to her, I can't think of any reason why this won't work. I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? That person spent a lot of time thinking about why this won't work instead of thinking about how they could build it. Because it, it's, it is hard to stand up against a group of people who are telling you all the reasons why this won't work or why they don't have the energy to support you or why maybe we shouldn't be doing this. So I don't know if you've seen the movie 12 Angry Men. It's a classic Um, And when they're sitting in that uh, jury deliberation room, there's an older gentleman that turns to Henry Fonda, who's really trying to get people, you know, to think about this, um, this person who's on trial, think about it differently. And he said, it is not easy to stand against the ridicule of others. So again, as I said earlier, when you're thinking about innovation, you do have to be prepared for the fact that even after they say yes, there still might be some people you know, who are not thinking about how to build it, who might still be getting in your way. And I'm not saying it's always intentional. I do think that this is just people's nervousness that naturally comes out and you need to be prepared for that. Um, Think about the movie Moneyball and, you know, uh, the movie Moneyball where they're trying to think about a new way to build a baseball team. I'm certainly not a sports expert here, trust me. I'm always happy to get the participation pin. But in that movie... It was difficult when everyone is against you. You need people who believe in you, like the stats guy, right? So he had a new idea. The industry said, there is no way this is going to work. I don't know what this guy's thinking. And he needed someone on his team to remind him all the way along that he was doing the right thing and that he needed that extra time and that that extra time to think about, all right, how can I pull this together? And then there's the whole, I don't know if you saw the movie Lincoln, and I I loved this line because at some point, and it really depends on the role that you're in in the organization, if you're a leadership role or, you know, it depends on um, the amount of power that you have. And he turned to people in this movie and said, I hold the highest power in the U.S. and I'm telling you to just get it done. And sometimes you just have to tell people to get it done. Um, Stop with the kind of what ifs, what ifs, or, you know, not getting on side. And sometimes you just need to say to people, you know what, just do your job, get it done. I've been empowered with this mandate, and I really need you to just do your job. The other one is um, around, there's a movie called The Stroke of Genius. Uh, This was about the gentleman that invented the intermittent windshield wiper. And basically... um, he worked very hard to make sure that he had had credit for his idea. And someone said, why are you trying so hard? And he said, because this might be the best thing that I ever do. So you need to keep that in mind. So thank you so much for joining us, to, for joining me today and for listening. I hope you found today's topic helpful and something that you can use in your everyday practice. 
don't forget, you have to live it to get it. And that's what they couldn't teach you in business school. You can reach me at chatwithchickles at rogers.com, like me on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, and check out my website at lisachicklesconsulting.com. I'm your host, Lisa Chickles. You're a part of Chat with Chickles and what they couldn't teach you in business school. And we talked about innovation today. And next week, we're going to talk more about it. So not only getting your people to say yes, but also getting them to continue to say yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for Chat with Chickles. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another edition with brand expert Lisa Chickles on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again on the next show.